Hello, my name is Sam Thiday. Some people may know me as a rugby league superstar. I played 304 games for the Brisbane Broncos. The season is over. Brisbane are the premiers. I played 29 games for the Queensland State of Origin. He's gone straight through, Sam. He's gonna get his second try. And represented my country, Australia, 32 times. He steps back in field. The crowd lift. He's got to kick off the post. Fido's there. Slam it, Sam. Uh, the reason why I want to do this podcast is I want to paint a human element to some of the superstars or, or the people that we look up to or the people that we put on these pedestals. Hopefully I can, with my story and getting my story out, encourage more people to speak up and show people the human side of us as well because we are human. You feel, you feel degraded and you feel like you've let yourself down. I rebelled and I went the other way and really pushed back on everything and, oh, big lovable Sam, it's all good. You know, he'll be fine. But inside and you were really quietly falling apart. Massively falling apart. I didn't feel like anyone would miss me at all. I didn't. No one would even come and look for me. To the boy on the wall, sitting so quiet and still. Why are you there? Is it for fun or is it for thrill? To the boy on the wall, a boy, not yet a man. A lack of direction, no single life plan. To the boy on the wall, what would your parents say? You don't know, because you hide, stay quiet, you lock things away. To the boy on the wall, I don't think you will jump. I can feel your heartbeat. I can feel that throat lump. To the boy on the wall, snap out of it. Step back just a bit. Quick, the sun's going down. You've got to get home. Shit. You jump on your bike, a warm breeze on your face. Mind is still blank, pushing the pedals with purpose and pace. Filled with confusion with what he just did. He was quite lucky, some would say a fortunate kid. He had a mum, a dad, some brothers as well. But inside he had demons, his own little hell. He had a house, a roof, a bed to lay down. But the pain had led him to the wall to stare at the ground. No one loves you, you're dumb, a waste, you won't amount to a thing. These were the comments in his head that would ring. But these all weren't true. 
but when you're stuck in a rut, they weigh on you and weigh on you until you want to give up. This is why the boy ended up sitting on that wall, feeling all alone, helpless, with no one to call. If I was there now, I would hug you so tight, let you know it's okay, it will all be alright. To the boy on the wall, I can now see your fear, because at that point in time, things weren't very clear. To the boy on the wall, if you looked up, you would have seen. You will become a great man and fulfill all your dreams. To the boy on the wall, I now see what you see. To the boy on the wall, I can't wait for you to grow up and be me. Uh, My feelings when I first heard the poem was obviously a little bit of hurt. I guess an element of surprise for somebody that seems within their sport and within their within their life so driven and so determined that he had gone through such struggles um, earlier on. Um, it makes me makes me just sad for him to think that he was going through that by himself. But at the same time, um, you know, it's made him and given him the strength in who he is today and and what he's gone through, you know, just this far in his life. Um, so that in itself is exciting for him. But I think just that initial sadness to hear the state that, you know, you can get yourself in. And at 15, <laughs> yeah. life seems really hard for most Um, But, yeah, he just sounds really lonely. I wrote the poem after um, sitting down with uh, a therapist that we've been working with recently and had a discussion with her about the the whole incident and and sitting on the wall. And she was the first person I actually told, again, bottling up these feelings for so long, not knowing how to express those feelings or talk about those feelings in a safe environment where I felt safe and comfortable enough to talk about them. I told her my story and I kind of left that session somewhat um, motivated to tell people my story. I felt a little bit more comfortable telling people my story and getting it out there. Hello, I am Rachel Thiday. I have been friends with Sam for over 24 years. I have been married to this man since 2011 and we have two beautiful children, Gracie and Elsie. So as a kid growing up, uh, our household was a little bit different to the normal household. First off, I have, I have a mixed mixed race background. My father is a Torres Strait Islander, uh, and my mother is uh, a white Australian, uh, but has always questioned if she did have an Indigenous background. I have two brothers by birth and two adopted brothers through traditional adoptions. 
my oldest brother Muzza was promised to my father um, when he was going to get married that Muzza was going to go and live with my mum and dad. So if we were living on an island, essentially what happens is you live in a village and everyone kind of looks after everybody else and um, sometimes promising or giving a, a child away is a way of that child helping out the family, whether it's a male or a female. You know, a, a female in a village mentality uh, back in the day would have helped out with the more domestic duties and the male to hunt and gather to provide for the family. I know you just always called him brother, even though he kind of looked different to us and um, he had much more of a darker complexion. We, we never questioned it. Um, and you just, that was your brother and you just kind of got on with it. My parents met in the Air Force. Um, my mum was a farm girl from Western Australia who worked the shearing sheds, um, you know, pretty rough um, and tumble type of lady. She wanted to get off the farm. Um, my poor grandfather had four girls and uh, they all kind of helped on the farm because there was, you know, no sons to help him. So they all kind of rolled up the sleeves and got stuck in. But mum wanted something different and she didn't want the farm life forever. So she joined the Air Force and my father was very similar. He grew up uh, on an island, um, was doing some work uh, on Thursday Island at the time. And an opportunity came for him to join the Air Force and he, he jumped at the opportunity. So my uh, oldest adopted brother, his name is Muzza, he came and lived with um, my mum and dad when he was 10. Um, I'm unsure what his age is now. Um, what kind of brother he Mother is a really good woman for getting gifted a 10-year-old as a wedding gift. I just can't imagine. Can you imagine doing that at 23 yourself, at what you were doing at 23? No, <laughs> not at all. I would have found it absolutely terrifying being a kid yourself. Essentially, it's like 23, you're kind of finding your own feet, just got married, uh, and then a 10-year-old comes and, and lives with you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you kind of have to uh, pour, your, pour your love into a kid that you, you, you barely even know. And, you know, that would have been definitely hard for mum, not growing up in that environment where she understood the whole traditional adoptions and, the, you know, kids being promised to you. That would have been absolutely terrifying for her. Do you remember the conversation of your mum, yourself and I having the conversation when we first fell pregnant with Gracie around the promise and giving back our firstborn. Yeah, I do and remember And giving it to your mum and dad because that's what we were meant to do and that's what family does. Yeah, I, I do remember sitting there having a conversation with mum when we fell um, pregnant with Gracie and mum, you know, saying to Rachel that we would have to give Gracie back to the family because by me... And Rachel getting married, Rachel's taking me out of the family. and So therefore I replace it with our firstborn. 
And I think that was probably the first time, wasn't it, that your mum had realised, oh, my gosh, what has my son done? He's married the most headstrong woman I've ever met. <laughs> There's no way I was giving my firstborn up to anyone. <laughs> there was no way. Yeah, in saying that, though, my, my mum was very headstrong herself because she was. there was no way that she was going to give up Reuben yeah, as well. She to, was much to stronger. Give. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily... Uh, breaking a cycle but being strong enough in in yourself to go I grew this kid and I'm going to raise this kid and, and, and love this kid I think uh, as a as a young kid you you kind of just exist and you you have fun you, you you roll with the punches and whatever happens and there were a few punches there, especially having um, older brothers. And uh, I can remember being a bit of an angry kid, uh, and probably only realising now, as as I'm older, why I probably wasn't probably was an angry kid. It's because I had I had big feelings, and I didn't know how to express those feelings or talk about those feelings and find my voice or, or, or place within within the family. So that was probably the the hardest thing, and and I, I I will put my hand up and say I broke a fair thing, fair few things as a kid, and there's um, probably a couple of holes in a couple of walls of the, the old fibro house that mum and dad still live in now that that still are there because yeah I just didn't know how to express myself or or ask for comfort or ask for a hug when I needed one or you know trying to trying to find love sometimes in a in a chaotic environment always always hard I had a fair few fights with my older brother Reuben he definitely knew how to push my buttons uh, as older brothers do but majority of the time it was objects so I I I can remember you know there was always slamming of doors and there was always you know there was a couple of walls downstairs I would kind of walk past or throw things at and you know kind of took my anger out that way um you know one of the best presents my mum ever brought me was it was a punching bag and I remember that's what I used to you know if I had my you know my build up of uh, of anger or you know um, feelings I couldn't get out I would take it out on the on the punching bag and or I would you know, I would go for a ride on my bike and my brothers tried to steal my bike one day and I threw an axe at him. Because talk about anger management. <laughs> because yeah, I didn't know how to tell him that I wasn't happy that he was on my bike. I didn't know how to tell him that you know, I was unhappy with the way he was treating me and um, you know, the way he was teasing me and again, anger was my only outlet it was hard to talk about feelings in in my household you know I my dad he's a very quiet kind of laid-back reserved shy guy you know when he had to discipline us he he disciplined us and then mum again being the the tough farm girl growing up in the shearing sheds and you know you, you cut your finger you wrap some wool around it and you keep on shearing sheep um, you know, there wasn't 
there wasn't ample opportunities to sit down and say, I'm not feeling well today, Mum. I've got, you know, I've got this going through my head or, you know, hey, Mum, I'd love a hug today. Um, I just want to, you know, be able to, I just sometimes want you to tell me that you love me. And there was, wasn't ample opportunities for us to, to have those conversations at all. I didn't know where I fit into my family, but into everyday living either. I was stuck between having an Indigenous dad who never forced any culture on us, but opportunity was always there if you wanted to learn and ask questions about it, was there to learn. And then I had a, you know, a, a white mother, so I was kind of somewhat confused because I, you know, I was, I was too white to be black and too black to be white and, you know, that that kind of was a little internal struggle for me as well because not that I wanted to fit into a box but I wanted to know, I wanted to know where my place was and like, you know, kids always want to know, what am I? And that's, you know, that's, I didn't know what I was. Looking back now as a 35-year-old man, I would love to be able to get a hold of that 10-year-old boy and try to focus um, you know, some of that anger early into something. I'd love to be able to go and give 10-year-old me a hug and um, I'd love to be able to go in the backyard and, and bowl the cricket, the cricket ball to him or, you know, go and shoot some hoops and just really show some, um, some, some genuine love and affection. I guess I feel for Sam in the sense it sounds like his first 10 years of life was quite challenging in his identity. And I think most 10-year-olds, you know, that exploration of who am I and what does it look like and then, you know, the added challenge for him of um, obviously the cultural aspect of trying to, you know, work that out as well as a 10-year-old boy. It's, it's yeah, it sounds like it's, uh, I think listening now, it almost formulates who he is today for me. Uh, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> The identity, your identity is huge. Whether you're a 10-year-old boy or a 35-year-old man. Um, and to think that he was struggling with it as a 10-year-old and to see, you know, it sort of come through and reflect now, it's it's crazy how the world works and how we sort of flow in cycles through life. And, yeah, it's interesting. It's good to hear. It just shows that we're... Um, well, he's growing and evolving and, and, um, and willing, to, willing to look at it again. To know that I have come full circle is, is good and bad because yeah, it's, it's bad because I, I do some days feel lost and feel super confused and what I want to do with my life now but it's also good and it's also good because I can see that struggle now and I know how to deal with that struggle now and it's an opportunity for me to 
grow and move and break that cycle. So that's probably the best thing about it. But seeing Rachel cry at the moment, um, makes me sad because I know that my own struggles and finding my own identity at the moment sometimes come out in the wrong way and sometimes I put that pressure on Rach and am not a nice person to be around. Probably the last couple of years have been the toughest couple of years in our um, relationship, our friendship, that it's, it's been the most testing times for us both. And then you know, both of us finding our voices at the moment and being able to voice our feelings and say what our hurts are and get them out there makes it even harder again but also is super healing I, I hope and, and breaks a cycle and hopefully the next however long our, our lives go on can, can be better um, being a father now and Having two young daughters, Gracie who's seven and Elsie who is five, I'm kind of more, well, I can recognise things in, in them now and see things um, and especially Elsie is one who is uh, super testing for me because I can see a lot of myself in her. I see that she has huge huge feelings and not an ability at, at the age of five to voice them sometimes and sometimes they do come out and uh for her little tantrums and you know trying to talk to her as much as possible and stay calm myself uh, because it, it can be easy sometimes to just be the, the disciplinarian all the time and you know and putting them in time out and sending them to their room um isn't necessarily always the best answer um, and it's not always the best thing. So I try to, as much as possible, try to talk to her about what she's feeling and why she's feeling this way and why she's acting the way she's acting and, you know, how can we how can we help this and, and move forward. So, no, I try to, as much as possible, show my girls every day how much I love them, um, whether it's words of positivity, whether it's, you know, I sing a song to them every night when they go to bed and that's our little routine. And I like to refer to it as having three kids. Um, we have days and moments like that in our household, but I feel like every family has its own, uh, its own way of dealing with that sort of stuff. Sam's fun, loving, over the top, slightly dramatic um, and... Most of all, uh, I guess, a doting but very loyal father to the girls. Um, the girls, you know, when you speak about it with my mum especially, she always says that you choose your own, you know, like before you come into this world, you choose your parents for a reason, uh, which I totally believe it because our two girls uh, very much know how much their dad dotes uh, 
over them and but is fiercely loyal to them and I think for every little girl that's such an important key to their life and and um and growing up as into a woman so um yeah he's he's a brilliant dad uh at times he can be testing with them because I think Gracie's favorite line to him is you're antagonizing me (laughs) the moment I don't know where she learned that from I think she learned that from you (laughs) Because you say that to me all the time. As so well. yeah, um, yeah, you can see you can see the utter um, admiration in their eyes with him. So that's you know it's a beautiful thing to see. Do you miss me at all? Do you think about the things we used to do? No, you couldn't stand tall. So why didn't you, why didn't you call? Sam's story continues next week. It wasn't too long into that season when the coach approached me and said um, that uh, at the end of the 2018 season, um, that they they weren't going to offer me another contract. There was... um, an allegation of a sexual assault uh, that I was involved in. Look, Rach, I'm really sorry to be calling you. Uh, he's okay, he's alive. And I, I'm like, he's alive? I felt like a piece of shit that didn't deserve the right to be treated in the right way. He was just hurt. He was just... Heartbroken again. A Podshape production.